0: Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Father, we ask now that you would continue with us as we turn to your wonderful, precious word, your revealed will. Lord, we're not always sure of the details of some of your will. Some of your will you choose to keep hidden from us for our best interests. But there are other parts of your will that you've revealed. (laughs) Lots of it, actually, within the pages of the Bible. And so we come today to look in those pages and to find out some of your glorious revealed will to us. And uh, we pray that uh, it will encourage us, strengthen and stir us and draw our gaze heavenward once again. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going through Mark, as you know, and we have now uh, finished chapter 1, which has only taken us about six weeks. So, this is going to be a long series, but um, don't worry, we will come in and out of it a bit. Um, And we're going to turn to Mark 2, and the first uh, few verses of Mark 2. So, Mark 2, chapter 1, and... For those of us who've been Christians a while, this is a really familiar story. And if you haven't, well, you've probably heard this at some stage in a school assembly. It's one of those that's trotted out in school assemblies. I've told it a number of times myself. So Mark chapter 2. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. In Luke's version, Jesus says, Son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes who were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit... and immediately picked up his bed. You would, wouldn't you? And went out before them all, so that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So that is one of the great Sunday school stories, isn't it? Yeah. If you were brought up in church, do you remember being told that one? And the, the pictures, it always has pictures of young men carrying the, the paralytic, doesn't it? They always tend to be young in the pictures. I looked through all the other gospel accounts in Matthew and in Luke, and uh, nowhere does it say that they were young men, but we always just assume they must have been young men. <clears throat> it's interesting, isn't it? I remember listening to that <clears throat> story as a child and, uh, and thinking how exciting it was. Uh, yesterday when we were at the wedding, um, John's <coughs> best man, his brother, Tim, told a number of stories about John one of which was of about a, him going for a, a parachute jump. <laughs> he goes for this... Pa- and, and, and the plane is, is, is mid-taxiing and suddenly stops mid-taxi. And uh, Tim and his dad, who are standing watching, they're going to watch John parachute, they look at each other and they say, this is something to do with John, isn't it? The plane stops, the instructor gets out really angry and says... I told you, you don't pull that cord until you're out of the plane. <laughs> don't touch it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and uh, it's interesting, isn't it, just uh, hearing that story. And, and it reminded me a little bit, as I was listening to it, about how our attitudes can actually change these sort of things. Because, okay, it sounded fun and it sounded really adventurous, but, do you know, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, that sounds really dangerous. <laughs> that sounds really dangerous. And you read this story now as a middle-aged man, and I think to myself, gosh, there's huge health and safety implications <laughs> to this. They're making a hole in the roof. and you know, Where was the stewarding here? You know, who had done the risk assessment for this meeting? Come on, Bill, what were you doing? Come on. And uh, it's interesting, isn't it, that we can, if you like, we can have sort of a... a a westernized view of this. We can come adults and think, do you know what, well, that's, that's, that's really dangerous to do that. Jesus's response wasn't like that at all. In fact, when you um, think about the disciples later on, this account is very early in, in, in their time with Jesus, and, and so clearly they just hadn't quite got a handle on things yet. They're much better at, at protecting him later on. Do you remember that? There. They're constantly trying to keep young children away from bothering him. They get much better at doing that, at just seeing the sensible side of it. We've got to protect Jesus here. Come on. I mean, we've got to be reasonable. Um, he's got a busy schedule. He's an important guy. And, uh, you know, we just, we just have to protect him a bit. So, kids and parents, you know, you need to keep your distance. They clearly had not quite learned enough at this stage because they weren't quite on it enough. But actually, Jesus' response is completely different, isn't it? Utterly different. He welcomes this. He welcomes it. He doesn't stop it. In fact, he just welcomes the brazenness of these guys who go up on the roof. They do everything that's anti-British. Do you know that? It's completely anti-British, isn't it? I mean, it says that the room was full. Okay. Now you know that's just—it's just, it's just not paying fair, is it? There's people outside there who've been queuing for hours to get in there, and they just got on the. I mean, it's just not British to do that. And actually, you know, really, the Lord should have said, "Wait your turn." But there's something about Jesus loving this type of brazen approach to Him. When we were praying on Wednesday, we looked at a passage. A number of you were with us on Wednesday when we met to pray, and we were praying about a number of things, particularly for Ben. And we looked at the passage, the very well known passage in Luke, where uh, Jesus tells the story about the man who tries to knock up his friend in the middle of the night because he's had friends come from another town and they've got nothing to give them to eat. And so he knocks up his friend to ask for some bread. He wants three loaves of bread. And the friend says, I'm just in bed. Come on, I'm with my kids. I'm not going to come down now. But the friend keeps knocking, and the passage uses this word. It says, because of his impudence, because of the friend's impudence, the friend will get up and give him the bread. And I said on Wednesday, it's the only time that word is used. In the New Testament, I read up uh, just in one of the commentaries uh, just to get a little bit more insight into what that phrase actually means. It can be translated as a lack of sensitivity to what is proper, impertinence, impudence. It describes being without respect or modesty. It's a really strong word. They came with impudence. And Jesus, rather than sending them away, rather than demanding respect, he welcomes it. And what does he say? Well, it says in the Bible that he looks at them and because of their faith, he then acts. And as I was preparing this, um, and a prophetic word that uh, Emma sent me yesterday, just about us as a church uh, coming together uh, to pray as we're praying now, particularly for Ben, uh, but that actually this is more than just about Ben, this particular season, and Emma. It's also just about us as a church growing in that sense of faith. And this picture that Emma had of as we pray together, it's like we are we become a warship. And so one of the things I want to encourage us to do over this particular season in the life of the church is to pray lots when we come together. In all those different little gatherings that that make up what we do, because this isn't it, is it, on a Sunday. We're together all through the week in one or another context. People are meeting. There's Mums groups and prayer groups on Mondays. There's small groups three nights a week. There's getting together in each other's homes for meals. There's Sunday gathering. So I want to encourage us to be impudent in prayer. Every time we're together. So for this season in the life of the church, can I encourage you, when you get together, even if it's just for an informal meal, with friends, pray. Pray. Be impudent. Persevere is the other word that's used to translate that word. It's not as strong a word, but actually it it could also be used. In other words, sort of impudent perseverance or persevering in impudence. To come back and repeat again and again, Lord, this is what we're asking for. And Jesus welcomes it. He seems to love that type of radical reckless, illogical faith. Not only does he welcome it, actually there's another story in the Bible where he just encourages it. And that's the story of Jairus. You remember the story of Jairus? If you don't know Jairus, Jairus was uh, the head of a synagogue and he, his daughter, is, he's got a little daughter, a little girl it says in the Bible, and his little girl is sick. And he comes to Jesus in desperation and asks him to come with him to heal his little girl. And uh, as Jesus is on the way, as they're on the way there, somebody else comes and says to Jairus, don't don't bother the teacher because actually she's gone. She's gone. It's too late. Don't bother the teacher. And uh, Jesus' response is that he looks at Jairus and he says, believe, believe. Jesus welcomes illogical, unreasonable faith in him. He welcomes it. He could quite easily, or his disciples could have said, do you know what, he's got loads on, do you know what, I And mean, he's on his way elsewhere, this would be a diversion. She's gone, bless you, let's comfort you. And sometimes, you know, we can be very good at the comfort stuff. And we should be, shouldn't we? I was talking yesterday at the wedding to to uh, Shah. And so some of us will know Dan and Shah. Yeah, some of us will know Dan and Shah. We used to be a part of the church here, now a part of the church in, in Bedford. And it was just lovely to spend a bit of time with, with Dan and Shah yesterday. And I was just chatting with Shah, Charlene, and uh, we were just talking about, about prayer. They're doing a lot of that in their church, praying for, for the sick, praying for signs and wonders, seeing... Lots happen. In fact, uh, Shah's husband, Dan, had been out this week, just gone, with a group from the church, doing this really brave stuff where they pray for people in the streets, you know, and they prayed for this, I think he said he was Polish, Polish guy, who was some sort of sports trainer and had injured his knee, prayed for him, no, not a Christian, prayed for him, healed. Healed. And, uh, And so we were just talking about the fact that in the church... It's so important that we're good at both things, that we're good at comfort, that we're good at consoling and encouraging, getting round people, supporting them. But that must never be at the expense of praying with impudence and perseverance for God to act and move for the kingdom to come, because this, his kingdom is different to the kingdom of the world. And we can sometimes just accept the kingdom of the world, or oh, that's the way it is, you know, it's just that way, and we'll help you get through that. And of course, there are times when we have to do that, and must do that. But we mustn't allow that to take away also from our encountering God and crying and knocking at his door with that level of impudence, and intercession, and perseverance. I read um, recently, I'm reading a really helpful book, I'd I'd, I'd recommend it, by a guy called Jack Hayford. And Jack Hayford is now in his 80s. He's a very, very well-known pastor in the States, Um, probably one of the foremost Pentecostal pastors, Um, uh, and he's really sound, um, he came actually over to the UK a couple of years ago, and we went to hear him at a conference that Toppy was running. Toppy sort of oversees, helps to oversee our church. So we know that Jack Hayford's sound, because Toppy had him. And, uh, and I'm just reading this great book by him called Prayer Invading the Impossible. It's an old book. Um, but it's a great book. I recommend it. Easy read. Really helpful book. And uh, one of the things that that he writes about in in terms of prayer is that sometimes sometimes that we can be under the impression that praying is really, really hard work. And that can sometimes come from the reading that we do when we read biographies of the great saints, of the great prayers. You know, so we read a biography of, I don't know, someone like George Muller, my, my hero, or or uh, others like Spurgeon, or who mentioned Spurgeon? Who mentioned Spurgeon this morning? Lucy mentioned Spurgeon this morning. Some of these great heroes of the faith. We read about them praying through the night. And uh, and actually, what can sometimes happen is that rather than a spur for us, that can be a, a bit of a, oh, do you know what? I just don't think I can do that. And so therefore, what we do is we can back off from prayer. And actually, what Jack Hayford says is, Yeah, it's okay to aspire to doing that if God's calling you to do that, but not everybody's called to do that. But we're all called to pray unceasingly. We're all called to pray the same things with with that level of perseverance and impudence and repetition. Yeah, we know that Jesus says, come back again and again and again, keep coming back. It's not a lack of faith when we pray for the same thing again that we prayed for yesterday. It's not. It's not. It's the thing that Jesus encourages us to do. Because the temptation is that if I don't come back, when I've prayed that yesterday, and I haven't yet got the answer to that, that I then think, okay, so I prayed it yesterday, haven't really got the answer. The thing I'm then tempted to do is to begin to go elsewhere. It's exactly the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament. They just went, they just started to go elsewhere. Started to look towards other gods. They had this thing called synchronism, where they, they still, they still worshipped the God of Israel, but just to be on the safe side, they had a few others as well. You know, they just had a few others. They even did things like, um, I was reading the other day in the Old Testament Chronicles, up to Chronicles, and I uh, read this account where they'd been disobedient to God, and so he'd allowed another army to overcome them, and then they got hold of some of the gods of that other army and they started worshipping them. And when God asks them, they say, well, they overcame us, so we thought we, we prayed to their gods. And he said, yeah, no, but they overcame you because you'd already turned away from me. <laughs> and that can happen to us. We can, okay, we're not, nobody in this room is going to be bowing down to another god. But it's really <laughs> easy for us just to begin to look elsewhere, okay? So I didn't get the answer. So, so perhaps that's lack of faith, on my part, so therefore I'm rubbish at praying, so I'll give up. Or maybe I wasn't praying quite within God's will, and I don't know what that is, so I better just stop praying until I do know what his will is. Or or maybe just God's not coming through on this one, and after all, there's that great Bible verse, isn't there, that says God helps those who help themselves. Is there? No, it's not in the (laughs) Bible. But I better just do some stuff myself, because God's not going to help me unless I do some stuff myself not in the Bible. And actually what we can then do is we can just begin to turn away. And in doing so, well, what do we do? What does it say about those who worship worthless idols? They forfeit the grace that could be theirs. That's what the Bible says. Those who worship worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be... It's over there. There's the grace. Pray. Right, back into prayer. Okay. And we must be good at encouraging each other with that. Oh, I'm facing this difficulty. Have you prayed? Yeah, I did pray, but now let's pray again. Then, let's do it again. Oh, but you know what? I was talking to Paul yesterday just about family circumstance, really challenging in his family, and uh, we were just saying. I said to him, oh "I nice. can't. We must pray in small group." And you can have that sometimes. That sense in small group where you think, "Well, oh, you know, we've prayed for Auntie Jean a couple of times. And I'm just not, you know, people are getting bored praying for Auntie Jean." But actually, that's what small groups should be for sometimes, for us to battle together. But it doesn't mean to say it's got to be half an hour on our knees for Auntie Jean necessarily. It's the constant coming back. God, we're looking to you for this. This is where our eyes are. They're there. Okay? We're not going to go down this road of the worthless idol thing. We're going to stick here. You are the source. You're going to be the one who provides. You're Jehovah Jireh for us. It's here. And God says again and again in the Old Testament to his people, if you turn, if you repent, I'll I'll be back. I'll be back. And that's the other lie that sometimes the enemy tells us. Well, you've been away too long. You should have prayed about this ages ago, shouldn't you? It's too late now. You're too far down this road. But again and again, God says to the people of Israel, if you repent, if you turn, when Samuel dedicates the temple, he talks, he prays a fantastic, wonderful prayer about the people looking to the temple, wherever they are in Israel, even if they're hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. He talks to them about turning, and God talks to them about turning and facing Jerusalem and praying towards the temple. And God says, if you do that, if you turn and pray towards me, towards the temple, I'll bless you. I'll rescue you. I'll restore you. I'll forgive you. Do it. Turn back. Well, our temple is Jesus. That's who our temple is now. And we don't have to turn to him (laughs) physically because he's here. We can look him right in the face. So we need to turn to our temple, the Lord Jesus, with perseverance and persistent. Don't turn away. You know, the other thing that sometimes can happen, I think, with us is we can be reticent to pray God's blessing on us. You just think, you know, that's not very noble. I should probably really be praying for other things and, and I should be at the end of the list or my need should be at the end of the list. So, I'll pray about the world problems. I'll pray for my leaders and my politicians. It tells me to do that in the Bible. Uh, then I'll go down the list: my family, and then there's the people that I know about in work who've got problems. And I'll pray, and I get to the end, and I, well, there might be two minutes for me, but actually, I'm not. That's fine, because you know it's a bit self-indulgent to pray for blessing for me and for mine, to pray for blessing for people I love. It's a little bit self-indulgent, isn't it? We shouldn't be like that as Christians, should not we? we? Should be generous. We should be thinking of others all the time. And no, don't don't hint. What well, I'm not saying. It's good to do that. It's good to do that. But there's a there's a a man in the Old Testament who we know nothing about except one thing. His name was Jabez. You know about Jabez. Jabez appears in this whole long list. You know, when you get to that chapter in your daily reading, and it's the list. <laughs> of who begets who and who begets that. And and you think, okay, God, I'm not sure what I'm going to get from this this morning, but here we go. And in one of those type of lists, we're introduced to Jabez. And it says about Jabez, well, first of all, when his mother named him, she named him in a word that sounds in Hebrew very like the word pain. It's great, isn't it? What a great name to have. What's your name, pain? Okay, great, thanks very much. She named, thanks, Mum, named him pain because it was painful when she gave birth to him. Okay? So it's reasonable, isn't it? You can just sing it in the moment. Yeah, okay, love, what are we going to call him? Pain! We're going to call him pain, okay? All right, we're going to call him pain. we to have pain. <laughs> but it's almost like Jabez, I guess, felt he had that label over him. And So what does Jabez do? He says to God, and this is what it says in this long list of names and who begets who, and then it says, and Jabez. And Jabez, it says, was more honourable than his brothers. Oh, you think, okay, right, come on in. What did he do? <laughs> what did he do? What did he do? Here's what he did. He said to God, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my borders, that you would be with me and that any evil that I suffer won't cause me pain. Amen. <laughs> and it says that he was more honourable than his brothers because he did that. Because where's he looking? God calls that honourable when you're looking to him for that stuff for yourself. And then it says, oh, because he asked, God gave, him to, God, 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 God gave him that. God did it. Jabez unashamedly prayed blessing on his household and his family and himself. And why did God love it? Why did God honour it? Because Jabez looked there. And loads of his brothers probably were looking there. But God honoured him because he was looking there. And so when we come to pray for ourselves and those we love, we must never ever feel that that's an inappropriate thing to do or that it has to go to the bottom of the list. Because actually God loves it when we pray, oh, that you will bless me. Bless means happiness, wholeness, well-being. And when we pray like that, we get a sense of actually, and when God honours it and says, yes, that's a good thing to do, what does that tell us about him? It tells us that that's exactly what he is longing to do, to make you feel whole. And happy, that word blessed means happy. To seek for well-being and happiness. But to get it from there, rather than from there. Because if I go there for it, in the end that will just turn to sawdust in my mouth. But if I go there for it, even if I don't get what I thought I was going to get, what I'll get instead will be far superior to what I thought I was going to get anyway. Yeah? Never be ashamed to ask God to pour out blessing on you and yours. This is what it says in John, 1 John 5. This is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked from him. It's a great um, missionary called William Carey and uh, really started the whole missionary movement, missionary in China. Didn't see any fruit for the first few years, no fruit whatsoever. No one came a Christian in China, um, but then just saw a miraculous move of God probably started really the thing now that's led to millions and millions of Christians in China. And he, he said this really famous quote from him, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Expect great things from him and attempt great things for him. When we pray with faith and persistence, we're attempting great things for him and we can expect great things from him. The other thing about this passage, I think, is that I particularly picked up, was when Jesus looked at the young man, if he was a young man, a man, the man, the paralytic, clearly when he'd been lowered, I'm guessing his friends were expecting one thing. They were expecting healing. They were expecting it because I guess they'd heard the stories about Jesus. They were expecting it as they lowered him down. But there was no guarantee, but they were expecting it. And then Jesus looks at the, at the man and he sees a need that's greater in him. And that's that his sins are forgiven. So the first thing he says is, son... Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And you know what? I've sometimes wondered about that because I've thought, well, what was was that man's engagement in that process? Surely, for our sins to be forgiven, we have to do something. It says repent and believe. But there's no record that he offered any form of repentance. He was just there... And Jesus just says, your sins are forgiven. Take heart, your sins are forgiven, son. And, and then later in the passage, Jesus knows that the scribes and the Pharisees are thinking, who does he think he is? What, what right does he have to forgive sins? It says that Jesus knows. Do you know what, sometimes he knows, in fact, he always knows, even if we don't, know the words to bring to him. He knows our hearts. Do you know what? Sometimes when we're at that point of desperation and we're praying and we think, I don't even know what to pray. God, I don't even know how to ask for this. You know what? He looks and knows what our hearts are. And he answers our deepest need. Don't always have to have the words right. He knows our hearts when they're like the scribes. (laughs) but he also knows our hearts here. And somehow he must have known that this man's heart was towards looking for more than just physical healing. He was in need and he knew it. And God somehow saw that. Jesus saw that. And sometimes we don't quite have the words to say when we're praying. We don't quite know what to ask for. And we know that Apostle Paul writes that actually when that's true for us, it says the Spirit intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. As I was just thinking about this today, I just thought, oh, this is a time just to, again, promote speaking and praying in tongues, okay? We don't talk about it much, do we? Because it's controversial. and Some churches have have, have steered away from it because there's been excess in the past, hasn't there? And... But, but, but Paul, when he addresses that excess in, in 1 Corinthians, he doesn't tell people to stop speaking in tongues. He just says, look, do it in an orderly way. And actually, your, your church service, when you might have visitors and guests, shouldn't be full of tongues all the time. If there is someone who's got a gift of tongues, make sure that that's interpreted. And really, the whole implication is that, that tongues is that sort of that private gift of prayer, when we don't know how to pray. And something happens in the heavenlies. And so I just felt, really, as I was preparing this, that sense of, you know, sometimes we don't have the words. We don't quite know the words to use. Two things. First of all, Jesus sees our hearts. Lord, you know I don't even know what to say to you, but you know where I am in this. You know what I'd love. You know what I long for. Oh, Jesus. He sees it. But also, he has given us this wonderful spiritual gift, and it's a gift of the gift of tongues. When we don't know what to pray, and we just begin to pray to him and cry out to him in, in tongues, this sort of love language where we're sort of almost groaning on the same level as the Holy Spirit. And so this is a time for speaking, praying in tongues, this particular time in the life of our church. And if, also, I just felt to say, if that's a gift that you don't have, then Come ask and we'll pray for you. I'll pray for you this morning for the gift of tongues. Okay, if that's something you think, I've I've never quite got that, I've never had it. I just, and I was talking to somebody yesterday who said, Oh, I'd have to try and not feel envious when I'm with people who speak in tongues because I don't have that yet. Oh, okay, ask for it. Ask for it. (laughs) It It's just this wonderful gift God has given us to storm the heavenlies with a a special spiritual language. And we don't all understand quite how it works. But Paul encourages us to seek it and use it. So I encourage you, if you have that gift, as you're praying through this season in the life of the church, use the gift of tongues when you're together. If you have that gift, pray in tongues, pray in the Spirit. And uh, if you'd like that gift, then come, come and ask someone to pray for you this morning. Here's my last thing, really, and then we're going to pray a bit. <coughs> this man, who Jesus forgave his sins and raised him up, had no explanation at that point of what had happened to him, particularly in terms of his sins forgiven. What does that mean? sometimes the encounter with God comes before the explanation. Okay? Sometimes the explanation has to come first. So I'll give you a good example of that, and that's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. And Philip is transported by the Holy Spirit, and we we'll read about it in the book of Acts, to this sort of wilderness place where there's this Ethiopian... Um, a government official in all his finery and a chariot. And uh, he's reading the book of Isaiah, and the Spirit says, Go and talk to him. Go on, go and talk to him. And Philip goes up and says, so, Can I help you with this? And the Ethiopian reader says, oh, Well, I don't understand what I'm reading. I don't understand it. He needs some explanation first. Philip gives him some explanation, and then he's, he's changed. Oh, what's to stop me being baptized now? He goes down into the water. He has explanation before encounter. Sometimes that's what happens. But actually sometimes the encounter with God comes before the explanation. And that's what happened with this young man. Do you know what? He didn't know all the theology of redemption at that point and and atonement. And Jesus said to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your bed and walk. didn't have it all explained to him, but he had an encounter. Don't be afraid if you... Don't have an explanation. Seek an encounter. You need both. But sometimes the explanation will come after the encounter with God. Lord, I don't understand. Oh, this is a bit weird. I'm swaying a bit. What's all that about? You know, sometimes you see that, don't you, when, when, when people are praying for the Holy Spirit to come, and it just is a bit, we think, oh, what's that all that about? Or just when something happens, you think, I don't know, God, what are you doing? You're, uh, you're, you're shifting something here. Do you know, it's interesting, that that word we had, that I've referred to a number of times that Martin brought, when we're all celebrating and there's this word about sharpening your swords, and I'm thinking, well, that's not very relevant at the moment, is it? But, and then, oh, okay. See, what I should have done at that moment was trusted the encounter with God through the prophetic and just thought, okay, let's just wait, the explanation will come for that, I'm sure. Two or three day, days later, it does. Spends not very well. We say, okay, right, sharpen your, your sword, sharpen your weapons. Don't despise odd, strange encounters with God, even when there's not the immediate explanation for it. Because sometimes the explanation follows the encounter. Receive the encounter, expect the encounter, seek the encounter... And don't be afraid if the explanation comes afterwards. Sometimes it won't come at all. But if it doesn't come at all, he'll give you the peace to cope with that. He'll give you the peace to cope with that. Let's stand together and we're going to pray. <laughs> Could I have the musicians back? when we play something and sing something in a minute? Is that okay? That would be lovely. So let's pray together for again, just for Ben and for Emma particularly. So what I'd like us to do is we're just going to lift our voices and pray all together, and then, um, and then I'm just going to invite. There are people who would like prayer for God to bless them. If there is a particular area in your life at the moment where you think, where you're thinking, oh that you would bless me and enlarge my borders, that you would be with me. In this, I'm going through some stuff. Oh, that you'd bless me. Oh, that you'd be with me. Oh, that when I face evil, there, there won't be that crippling pain that just cripples. If you'd like prayer for God to bless you like that, then after we've prayed for Ben, I want just come forward. I'm going to pray for you. And uh, also, if you would like to receive the gift of tongues, that prayer language, then come forward and and I'll pray for you for that too. Okay. So let's just together lift our voices together, pray for Ben. Let's pray for the same things we've prayed for before, for healing, for just the expulsion of this mass in his chest, and that God will be with him and Emma and the family at this time. Let's lift our voices and pray. Oh, Father, Father, we come to you again, unashamed, Lord, unashamed and asking for the same thing, that you will come. Lord, and you will bring your sovereign power and you will heal, Ben, that you will take this away. Lord, that you will preserve him. Lord, that you will heal, Lord, any damage, that you will completely expel this mass from his body. Lord, that you will give great wisdom to clinicians. But actually, Lord, that you will act. Lord, that you will give strong support. Lord, you know that his heart is fully devoted to you. And you know that Emma's heart is fully devoted to you. I thank you that your promise is that your eyes range to and fro across the earth in order to give strong support to those who walk uprightly and whose hearts are fully devoted. So come, oh God, and bring strong support, I pray. In Jesus' name, come do that. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Father, we come to you again and we ask that you will just bring complete healing to Ben Lord, we ask for him right now that you'll place your hand on him. Father, we ask that you will uh, just expel the mass from his body, Lord, and that you will bring healing to any organs or parts of his body that may have just been affected uh, by this intrusion into his body. We ask you just expel that in Jesus' name. Lord, we, we thank you for Ben and Emma so much. We thank you that you are the God who promises to give strong support. That's what it says in your word, that your eyes range to and fro across the earth to seek those whose hearts are fully devoted to you in order to give them strong support. And we know that Ben and Emma's hearts are fully devoted to you. They walk uprightly before you. And so we pray, Lord, that you'll give them strong support. We thank you that you're doing that already. Ask that you'll continue to give them strong support (laughs) Uh, during this time and we pray that good will come from this we pray your name will be glorified from this that you will give stories for us and the family to tell because of how you work your sovereign mighty power so lord we pray and we intercede and we persevere we come impudently lord not because we don't love or respect you oh no we know we're coming into your throne room but we come to you like children who just run in yeah who who've got no shame. They don't come in like courtiers who have to bow and scrape or ambassadors from another country that have to go through a certain form of words before they can get in. No, we run in like children because it's our Father who sits on the throne. And so Lord, we come like that to you. Yes, we come knowing who you are, but yeah, we come knowing you're our Father. So we run in and we ask, Lord, Father, Dad, will you give us what we ask? Complete, radical healing for Ben. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the glory of God the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And just while we sing this next song, I'm just going to stay up here. And if you would like a prayer of so I think that's what it is. It's just going to be a prayer of blessing for you. You would like the Jabez prayer prayed over you. Oh, that you would bless me, enlarge my borders, be with me. But well, I'm going through some 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 stuff that feels difficult, but yeah, don't let the pain overwhelm me. If that's a prayer you'd like, I'm really, really happy to pray that for you. So so while we worship, come up and pray, and if not, then we'll just close the meeting.. Okay. You have just listened to a Beacon church recording.